Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. If you have notes, you could go ahead and, um, and write this down. And, and before we, we jump into that, um, uh, actually, let's just go right into this. Um, you could write this down. It's, it's titled Honorable, Honorable Obedience. Honorable Obedience. Go ahead and write that. I want to talk to you guys, have a good conversation with you guys. Honorable Obedience. And that's what we're going to look into as we've been flirting with this stuff or not, not necessarily been diving into this stuff for three weeks. And um, I touched up on a lot of this stuff two weeks ago when I was talking about obedience and Rahab and Jericho and, and that good stuff. And I thought I was going to go one direction with today's message, but for some reason, it, it kind of took a, a, a different direction, a different, a different detour or whatnot. But, but I'm going to be faithful with what God has pressed in my heart and the teaching in honorable obedience. And I'm just going to deliver it the way um, that God allowed it to be formatted rather than what I thought I was going to share maybe two weeks ago. So, um, very important. Last week, I wasn't here. I was honored by, by the preaching of the word. I was honored by the message that, that Tito gave. I hope many of you were challenged and blessed by it. Um, I know I was. He's here. At least give an amen. Don't make him feel weird. Like, say amen. You know, he's like, wow, man. No one, you know, but uh, but, um, but I, I was blessed and I was honored by it. And, and I thank God that within our family, there are people that could rise up and, um, and speak to the rest of us. His word. Amen. Um, I, I was able to go to Puerto Rico, not for vacation. Uh, I went on Thursday and I was there till Sunday night. And the, the reason why I was there, we had a, a special, a special, it was a special time actually for our church and for our churches. Um, may, maybe you're newer to our church and you're not, you're not 100% sure of what, what's going on. Um, we belong to a fellowship of churches. We're not an independent church. We, we belong to a council. In Spanish, we call it a concilio, a fellowship. And um, we have um, over 50 churches and, and pastors um, in, in, the, in North America, Central, South America. God's doing some work now in um, Argentina, which we believe the Lord is going to open up some churches in Argentina. And God is doing some work all over the world through our fellowship. So this last weekend, we were able to celebrate 40 years of, of ministry as a fellowship, Christian Life Mission, Iglesia Nuevo Testamento in the Spanish countries. And, and it really is an honor. And you, you might, it might be difficult. It, the way I say it with my words might not give justice to how I feel it in my spirit. Because it was special to be there and to see a man and a woman specifically, many men and women, but specifically one man and one woman that on one service we were able to honor. And um, just thank them for their service. Over 40 years ago, um, the apostle of our fellowship, David Barlock, and his wife, Jill, uh, he's the president of our fellowship, the apostle of our fellowship, um, whichever term fancies you, but he's a great man of God. And, and he, he gave up everything he had, him and his wife, with their first child, to go to a land they knew nothing of, a culture they knew nothing of, a language they did not even know yet. You would think Rosetta Stone before you become a missionary. And start a, a work over there. But no, he, he went over there 40 years ago and had no idea what he was doing. He just knew that God called his firstborn son and his wife to go over there. And um, it was a struggle and it was a heartache at first. But 40 years later, um, God saw the, that obedience and has given it much fruit. 
Many have come, many have gone in our fellowship. Many have stayed throughout the years. But we're still going, we're still moving, we're still planting churches. There's a fresh vision going forward. There's some changes that went on in the government of our churches. And it is a beautiful thing to be a part of, to recognize, man, we belong to something that has been affecting not just our continent, but, man, other countries and other continents with the word of God for 40 years. And it started with sacrifice, with pain, while stepping in obedience. And God has honored that. And I felt like it was good to introduce what I was doing, introduce the message with what I was doing last week. Because I feel like if I feel like all last weekend I was amongst men that they could probably just their lives preach what honorable obedience is. I mean, one of our bishops of our fellowship was gave one of the teachings, and he was like, Yeah, you know, in so-and-so country, that's the first time I was arrested. Here's a man that has been arrested a handful of times and never has committed one crime in his life. He's been arrested because he's a pastor and he, and he does not back down from the government. I mean, and you just look at his story like, how many times have you been arrested? I'm like, well, <laughs> which <laughs> are you talking about before Christ? No, but, but you know, but, but the truth is, what an honor, you know, that, that these men have sacrificed their lives, you know, have, have given, I mean, it, it, I could just sit here for hours, but I feel like I have to get into the word. So that's where we were at. Um, we, had, um, we had pastors' meetings on Thursday and Friday, and it was special. Imagine sitting in a, in a, in a church and, and a bunch of pastors, and, I mean, one day was like seven hours of just seven hours of being poured into. So I just came back, just refreshed with a smile on my face, and um, very hopeful, very hopeful uh, for the future, and um, very hopeful for you guys. <laughs> Amen. And... Um, What, what, what an honor that is, you know, what, what, what a glorious place to be at. And um, so that was third, and then Saturday and Sunday we had our convention, and then to hear back at home, everyone's doing good, and with your hiccups and with your problems, but we're alive and we're well. And I stepped back into our land, and we were able to eat sweets together and drink coffee, and, and we just got, man, life, let's speak into our life different. Life is good, man. Amen. Life is good. Can you say that? Even if your life feels like it's not good, say it. Convince your life, which is not good, that it's good. Seriously. Convince your life that you've made it not to be good. Convince it to be good. So speak into it every day. Life is good. Life is good. My wife is good. My husband's good. My children are good. My church is good. My job is good. Speak into these things. Amen. Honorable obedience. Honorable obedience. Let's get into this. Last time I was with you, um, we spoke about obedience, and we asked this question, right? Would you? Yeah. Who said that? Thank you, Charlene. Say it, say it, Charlene. Would you? Yeah, she's going to yell with me. Would you yell with me? And we, we spoke about would you yell with me and what that represented and what that meant according to the text and scripture. Would you yell with me? And we said that obedience, if you have your notes open, you could just follow along and then just add to it. We said that obedience is submission to another's authority. How many of you remember that? Okay. Submission. Amen. We're getting there. Submission to another's authority. And that's what obedience is. Submission to another's authority. And I believe and, and scripture teaches that our lives, our actions can operate under greater authority. I, I really, ask yourself that question for a moment. Can, can I live under a greater authority? 
Just ask yourself that. You might be like, what are you talking about, about authority? Like, I read stories in the Bible, like we read two weeks ago, like when Paul takes off his clothes, uh, his upper garments, his handkerchief or whatever, and he casts it on the sick and the sick are healed. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Like, I want to go to a hospital one day and just be like, I can't pray for all of you, but pass this shirt around and let every single person that that shirt touches uh, be healed by. Like, can you imagine living under such authority? That even the demons have to respect the shirt that your flesh puts on? That's crazy, man. It, it really is, like, I'm talking about, do you believe that God has a greater authority for you? For your ministry, for your life, for your family. Scripture, I believe, teaches that. That, that our actions, our voices can operate under greater authority. But, but this is the thing, right? If we want greater authority, we must recognize this, that our lives then are to be an offering of honorable obedience unto the Lord. We can't, remember, we can't live in authority. And you'll never have any authority if your life is not lived in obedience. You can't look into someone's life and speak something to them and automatically think they're going to respect you when your life is pitiful before them. I want to make sure we understand, so I'm trying to use different adjectives. Okay, so, so, so that's important to understand. I, we can't do that. And, and, and there's never going to be any weight. You, you know for coming here for a while, that's one of the, great, that's one of the things that I pray for. Um, in most of my prayers, I always mention that phrase. Lord, let my words have weight because I've taught that. That I feel that the moment that my words have no more weight, man, I've, I've lost the, most, the, the greatest power that God's given me. Which is a voice with words that come out of it that could, that could give life or bring forth death. So, so, Lord, let my words have weight. And I feel that's very important. So if my, if my words were to have weight, I believe it's because my life lived out. My life lived out gives those words that weight and that authority. If not, how do you lose weight on your words when you say something and they look at you and they say, I know who you really are. There is no way that you could come over here and correct me when you're a joke. Amen? Yes. Praise God. Like, what a challenge that is. What a challenge that is for us. I need to be right with God. How, do, how am I right with God? Easily start learning to walk in honorable obedience. I believe that God has greater authority for my life. If it's for me alone, I'll take it all. I want greater authority. I want greater authority in my life. I want to walk into a place where there's a multitude of demons and they run out of there. And they say words like, Paul I know and Jesus I know and this guy Regal I know as well. Like I want that. I want them to say my name in hell. I know him. And we don't want him to walk into this house. We don't want him to walk into this building. Man, I want to function and flow in the great authority. And great authority, even the place where we could speak the word of God, the words of life, and that life, life could be given to the ones who are experiencing death. What great power we have that we could speak to someone who's decaying and our words have the power to cause flowers to blossom again. Hallelujah. I want, I want the Ezekiel thing to happen in my life. Can those bones live again? I don't know, Lord, only you know. I'll tell you what, speak into those bones, prophesy to them and tell them to live again. All right, Lord, I'll take a shot at it. I want my words to have weight that when I prophesy to dry bones, dry bones become alive again. But my life has to be lived out in honorable obedience. Honorable obedience. Say it one more time. 
Amen. Let's get into this. I want to think about, uh, consider John chapter 13 together. John 13 is a a real interesting passage. It's um, the washing of the feet, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And uh, I wanted just to, uh, us to read some of this stuff and think about this time in Jesus' life when he does this, when he's washing the disciples' feet. If you remember this story, Jesus is about to wash his disciples' feet. And Peter, Peter um, poor Peter, you know. But, but God was doing something in him. The Lord was, was going to do something in Peter. So Peter comes up to Jesus, or better yet, when Jesus shows up to Peter, Peter looks at him in verse 8, and this is what Peter tells Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. (laughs) You shall never wash my feet. I mean, I think Peter thought he had a, a little ounce of authority there. You shall never wash my feet. So, so Jesus, I'm guessing making eye contact with Peter, here's what Peter has to say to him. And Jesus replies back to Peter. And he, and, and Jesus, I mean, you can't, you can't out, like, you're not going to out debate Jesus. You know that, right? Like, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you guys are going at it, but they're just so, um, what's the word, um, they're so lyric, no, not lyric, what's, there's a word for it, whatever, I forgot it. They're, they're so good with their words that, that, um, that you get stuck and you're like, oh, I'll get back to you. And you got to go home and meditate and pray and write notes on a, a notepad or whatever you do or write it on your phone nowadays. And it's like, okay, I'm ready to talk to you again because, because they're so good with the, like Jesus doesn't do that. Like Jesus, what's the word? No, it wasn't eloquent. I knew that word. <laughs> Thank you, though. You guys are adorable over there. <laughs> It'll come. Like, I'll be, at, I'll be closing up. The show. I remember the word and just deal with the ADD when that happens. All right, here we go. So, so Jesus replied back to, hey, you shall never wash my, my feet. Jesus replies, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You know, what do you say after that? Like, seriously, what do you say? Like, all right, just wash it then. <laughs> like, what do you say when Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you can't be with me? You're going to be like, all right, let's do it. My bad. You'll wink at him. Take out the fist for a pound. Buy you lunch. Uh, my bad. So, so it's, it's a real cool, it's a, it's a real interesting encounter, John 13. But, but this is important to recognize because Jesus can very well be doing something specific here, specifically here. And it's, he could be speaking to Peter what was spoken to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25. When the prophet is told this, he says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. It was a point where he says, right, I'm going to make a new heart. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh and all, and all these things. It's that same passage. So he, what, he's, what he's doing here with Peter and the disciples is something that is very similar in an Old Testament text in Ezekiel chapter 36. Now, why did I mention this? Because Peter would be very well, um, or better said, Peter would know the Old Testament and specifically this Old Testament text very well. He would understand what the Lord is telling him when the Lord looks at him and says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. It clicks in Peter's mind and he knows exactly what the Lord is saying when he tells him that. He understands that the Lord is telling him what he's telling him and he comes to this conclusion, which I say it's not bad at all. So so I'm going to prove to you that Jesus wins every debate. Jesus 
you can't wash my feet. All right, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Peter recognizes what Jesus is talking about. He knows Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 very well. And he comes to this conclusion, which is not a bad answer to get back to Jesus. Thank you, Peter. And this is what Peter says. Lord, so, so then let's do this. Ready? Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. There you go. Great comeback. You, you got me on that one. So you know what? What he really means here is, Lord, don't miss any part of me. Wash me completely. Think about, think about what Peter is doing here. You're right. You're right. I, I, need to, I, need to, I need to be obedient to you as you are doing an act of obedience towards me. Like, like, this, like what a moment this was. Like Jesus in doing this was being obedient. And Peter had to recognize the obedience that Christ was walking in while he was doing this to him. Like I, I think we forget that sometimes. Like we look at Jesus as God, which you should. And he's in scripture as God, and he is. But he's washing a man's foot. That when we look at it in scripture, it should be the other way around. Where we feel like that man should have taken the initiative first. And washed Jesus' foot. But I don't think the revelation was given to Peter or any of the disciples. Because it first wasn't done to them. So it first had to be done to them. Before they would ever be able to do it to anyone else. If you don't let me do this. You'll never be part of me. You'll probably. If you don't let me do this. Never be part of what I want to do on this earth. Be quiet. And let me wash you. See, Peter came to the conclusion of, oh, I have to allow him to do this. Because by allowing him, I then will become like him. You see, I am like Jesus, which I hope you could say that. Are you Christ-like? That's what a Christian is. If you say you're a Christian, you're Christ-like. Are you a Christian? If We are like Jesus because not only did he die on the cross, but he resurrected as well. Because of his death and resurrection, now we are his, what, light bearers here on earth. We are his images here on earth. But he first needed to do it and become it so that we then could walk into it. See, this, this, this whole story in John 13 is very interesting. Very interesting. Lord, don't, don't miss any part of me, but wash me completely. And I believe that it really was a special moment. I, I truly do. For everyone that was present, everyone that was involved. And, and, and if you really study the scripture, you'll see that most of the disciples didn't even understand the whole washing of feet till after his resurrection. They didn't understand most of Jesus' teachings till after the resurrection. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Jesus dies and, and, and he's buried and he's crucified and he's buried. And the first thing that the disciples do is they don't go preach the gospel. They go back to fishing. We need to understand that they, you would think they killed my king. They killed my savior. I'm going to live out in obedience and I'm going to preach his name even more. No, they went back to fishing. What do we do now? I don't know. Let's go fish. That's what we're good at. All right, let's go do what we're good at. And everyone goes back to fishing. That Jesus has to come back after his resurrection and say, what are you all doing? Come over here. I've cut fish for you. Let's have breakfast by the sea. And he needs to tell them, like, why have you picked up that trade again when I've called you to no longer fish out here but be a fisher of men instead? And, and, and man, it was hard for them. They didn't understand everything until after the resurrection. I want you to understand John 13, okay? Understand that it's a different culture. Understand that the whole feet issue is different. Okay? 
it's, 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 it's something of, uh, of, like for example, when you would walk into a Middle Eastern home, the servant, okay? Everyone say servant. Let's use a better word. The slave. The slave of that house, the servant of that house would wait for you when you walked in, take off your sandals, and would wash your feet at the front of the door so as you get ready to walk into the house. It was the role of the servant of that house to wash the guest's feet, the feet of the guests. So here's Jesus being a servant to man, washing their feet so that they could enter into something that God was going to invite them into. I'm going to invite you into rooms of my house that you've never seen. But first, sit down and let me wash your feet. If you don't let me wash you, you have no part of me. He was being the servant. We're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about the one that you're going to see him one day in glory, and your jaw will drop, and your knees will buckle, and your face will go splat. But yet he is on the floor, and he is washing man's feet. I need you to understand this culture. It's different than if we were just to wash each other's feet right now. We would be like, ew, that's gross. In the Middle East, we would be like, how dare you? Okay, it's totally different. You never show your feet to one who is superior. You wouldn't. You would cover your feet before standing, sitting before one that was superior to you. You never showed them the bottom of your foot. That's why the servant would wash the foot. Not, not the one who is maybe more superior or whatnot. Understand the culture. Understand that it's different than how we just read it uh, today um, in our country and in, 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 in our lifestyle with our modern day thinking and so on and so forth. Here's Jesus who is Lord. Jesus, Lord, God, submitting, obedient, and yet with full authority. Jesus, Lord, God, submitting, obedient, yet with full authority. Washing man's feet. Like, I, I would really love to see some of our faces, my face, if, like, Jesus were just to walk into this room and, and sit us all straight and say, take off your shoes and your socks. I'm washing feet today. Like, that's impressive. We have, we've been given here the exemplary model in Jesus. And, and, and this model is that he's obedient. And he's obedient to the Father. And his whole life on earth, he's submitting to the Father's authority at all times. At all times. He's just submitting. He's submitting. And because of this submission, because of this obedience, God gives Jesus something. As a, everyone say reward because that's like one of my last points in today's message. Everyone say reward. God gives him, the Father gives him something as a reward. He does. And we find it as we read it two weeks ago in Matthew 28 verse 18 when he says this. Here's Jesus. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. If that statement was after his resurrection. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And I believe that Jesus says these words because of his life that he lived on earth, a life of obedience, an honorable life of obedience. And when he goes, he says, all authority has finally been given to me to now pass it down to my children. So powerful. So here is, here is Jesus. Here is this obedient, authoritative king, 
Jesus, obedient and authoritative king and savior, washing sinful man's feet. You know, only in our faith will you see something like this. In no other faith will you see this. Let me explain this to you. We have, we're, we're the only faith that, that God first came to us and all these other faiths, man, are trying to get to their God. Do you think there's a reason for that? I do. I, I believe that there's a reason why he wanted to model something before us. I think so. Because, because now we're called to carry that model before man. It, you see, we, we, we don't, what's powerful about Jesus is, and, and it's, it doesn't mean that we have to, but, but it gives it more weight. We don't just do what he, do, what he does or what he, I mean, sorry, we don't just do what he says. But it's beautiful that as his disciples nowadays, as his children, we learn in reading the scripture, we also do what he does. We do what he desires for us to do. Obedient, authoritative king washing sinful man's feet. Our faith is so unique. So Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus comes back to Peter and says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And if you read the ending of this teaching here, verses 13 through 17, I'll read it to you. Let's, let's go ahead and, and, and look at these verses here. What is it? Five verses, four verses, five verses. He says to his disciples, you call me teacher and you call me Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. Good. That's what I am. I am that. Verse 14. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, this is so important, guys, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Today, I'm not going to do a, this representation. I'm not going to call someone up and wash their feet. <laughs> someone needs a feet washing. But maybe, but maybe we could serve someone else in here, even in a greater capacity than just washing feet. Maybe I don't have to wash, and we don't have to wash just feet, but maybe, maybe washing feet is so significant to something so much greater. Verse 15, he says, for I have given you an example. Guys, 14. If I'm Lord and teacher, as you said, and I've washed your feet, you are to wash each other's feet. 15, for I've given you an example. I've done this as an example. The, the reason for this is to lay out an example. And here it is. I say to you this. This verse means so much to me. You have no idea. It's a very personal verse for me before I started my ministry. It was prophesied into my life, and it's so powerful. And he says this. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What, what a beautiful, like we get so lost in scripture, we don't pause and think about some of the things that are being said here. But, but I read this and Jesus is telling Peter, especially Peter specifically, because he's the one that put his foot in his mouth and says, don't just wash my, don't wash my feet. I believe that, that what he's telling Peter is, Peter, if you don't let me do this, You'll never be able to reproduce. You'll never be able to replicate what is done here with someone else. I almost feel like, like for some of us, it's hard to serve someone else because we haven't allowed the cross of Christ to first serve us. Does that make any sense to anyone? I just don't serve. That's not my calling. No, you have no part of him. You have no part of him. 
You did not receive the washing. You have no part of him. You know, people that say, oh, I just don't serve. But they love for people to serve them. I just don't serve. It's because we haven't been served first. We haven't allowed God to first. Listen, before I ever served God, God served me. And I'm sure if every single one of you had an encounter with God, you would say the same thing. Because I came to a place that I recognized no matter how hard I tried to climb up the mountain, I never made it to the holiness of God. And one day I had to open up my heart and finally the mountain of God and the holiness of God came in and changed me forever. I used to pray for goodness sakes every single night in my bed. Lord, if I die tonight, I know I'm going to hell. Please forgive me. I can't change my life. Only you can change me, Lord. So please do it because I don't want to go to hell. Forgive me. <laughs> you know, I was more scared of hell at that early stage of my life than I was of just loving Jesus. So, so what, what an amazing prayer that is. Because finally, one day, Jesus just, I couldn't. As much as I tried, I went to youth groups. I went to church. I tried to go to every single altar call. I was at every single altar call given because I promise you, every single word was for me. I mean, I was like, I'm that sinner. I'm the one that needs more of Jesus. And I would be in the altar, and I would be in tears every single day on the altar, every single day. And I thought God did something in me, yes. And then I would leave that youth group service, and I was the same person. And my gosh, the condemnation and the hell that I stuck myself in because I thought that that was the day that God changed me. And I went back, and I was still messing around. And I would go to my bed, and I would pray, Lord, I'm going to die. If I do, I'm not going to make it. I was terrified. My God, I was like a mess when I was younger. (laughs) Hopefully, if that's any of you, today is your freedom day. Your Independence Day. But, but what's important is the Lord had to come to me first because, because there's nothing that you and I were ever able to do to get to him first. He, salvation was given to us. Grace was given to us. Mercy was, is given to us. So when he comes up to Peter and he says, I'm doing this as an example and I've laid this out for you so you could see this. He's telling Peter and his disciples, I need to do this. And if you don't let me, you're never going to be able to replicate this moment in anyone else's life that you do life before. With your family members, with your spouses, with your children, with your church family, with people that you work with. You'll be struggling for the rest of your life to learn how to serve someone else and reproduce and replicate my image on earth if you don't allow this stuff to happen before you right now it's it's a great teaching verse 14 when he talks about washing feet it could just be figuratively it's it might just talk about the importance of serving one another that the act itself is not necessarily required don't just come up to me and say oh pastor i love you i just want to wash your feet to show you that i'm that i want to serve you no we have better let's serve each other then if we're going to serve each other don't just wash my feet i don't even like people to touch my toes to be honest with you there's great ways that we could wash each other's feet and, and, and think about how can I better serve? How can I better, how, how can I be more obedient? How can I live a life of honorable obedience before the Lord and before those he's called me to walk before? You'll never have authority to, this is so important, you'll never have the authority. Have you ever thought about serving as, a, as authority? You, you, okay, you don't think that Jesus dying on the cross is a picture of authority? You thought that was weakness? So you will never have the authority to honor serving someone else or washing another's feet if your life has not been transformed and submitted to live in obedience. So what am I trying to say? Like Jesus, I need to live in obedience so then I could have the authority to honorably serve someone and serve him. That's so important for us. 
Because many of us look at serving as weakness. No, the greatest thing that you could probably do here on earth is actually serve each other and serve the Lord. You know, the people that struggle to serve, like, I don't know, I'm still praying about it. Stop praying about it. God's called you to serve. You figure out what you're good at and start serving away. Serve away. I mean, I have a brother in here that knows he's called to serve, and there's something that's happening within him, and, and he's just like, I don't need for you to give me the green light. I'm just going to serve God outside of hours of church. And he's going to the streets, and he's preaching to people, and he's doing things that if you look at him, you'll think he's crazy. But no, he's just walking in honorable obedience, and he has authority now to serve communities. But you might look at him and say, he's crazy. I don't. I think he's washing feet just well, properly. I mean, I want to be more like him. We would never have authority to serve someone if we're not living in honorable obedience. Jesus served us first. And the way that he served us was by living in honorable obedience to the Father's will. If I'm going to win them, I'm going to win them by serving them and loving them first. And the way I'm going to do this is it's going to be very hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. But I'm going to honorably obey my father. I know that for a fact there was a struggle at times for his heart because he was flesh as well. Father, if it is possible, pass this cup from me. But nevertheless, let your will be done and not mine. And blood, man, he was sweating drops of blood. You know what that stuff is called? That is painful. That is anguish. That hurts. And I want to tell you today that you you know you are probably being obedient when it causes pain from your life. Being obedient to the Lord is not just gun ho and everything is okay. Sometimes living in honorable obedience would be some of the most painful moments of your life. But it's producing some of the greatest love for Jesus. Jesus lived submitted. Seriously. Do we live submitted? Well, that's Jesus. No. So it's a, you are supposed to reproduce, replicate that. To the Father's authority, and he showed it through obedience his whole life. And if his disciples, you and I, are to do the same, you and I, today's disciples, you know you're a disciple of God, right? Disciple of Jesus? Okay. You're sons of God. You know that, right? Good. Like, I love when people say, your son's just like you. I'm like, Shh, I know, but inside of me, man, it's, it's like, oh. seriously, who else do I want to be like? I want to be like his dad, like, do the good stuff I do, but don't do it, you know. Just follow, hopefully my life is right before him that said, follow me, follow me, follow me. Follow me and take this farther than what I could have. Do it, do it good, do it better, do it greater, but at least, at least follow me. I'm not going to lead you wrong, son. So I don't want him following some of you guys when I'm not sure where your life is heading. I know where my life is heading. Follow me. Your son looks just like you. Your son acts just like you. Good. Good. Because I'm hoping that my life is going to lead him somewhere great and he's going to take it even greater. That when I'm old, I could say, son, I would have never thought that you were going to do what you did. And, he, and I hope that his conviction and his heart and his love says, dad, but I honor you for paving the way that I could take it this far. I will, re, I will say, God, I'm ready to go. If I hear those words, I'm ready to go. If I hear those words, rather than saying, Father, you are the biggest hypocrite. I wish you would have paved a better road for me, but I had to do this on my own and learn on my own. You did horrible with, with replicating this stuff for me to walk in. That would be the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Come on, parents. Come on, children. Let's shape up. We're paving the way for the future generations. Amen? So if we are his children, come on, if we are his children, what is the greatest thing that could be told to the Father? My God, Rigo looks just like you. I want that the accuser, 
like he did in the days of Job, walks around in heaven. And the Lord looks at him and says, what are you doing here? He says, I have no one to tempt. I have no. And then the Lord says, have you considered Rigo? And he says, he looks just like you. He acts just like you. He talks just like you. He smells just like you. You know very well that you put a hedge of protection around him and nothing is able to touch him. I want that when enemies come and stand before God and when enemies speak about me, it rings the father's ear because he looks at me and says, that's my son you're talking about. Man, that, like, what would bring, why do you think the enemy is walking around and, and why do you think they're roaring trying to see who they could devour? Who are they, what is the enemy doing? You think he's messing around with God's plan? He can't. The enemy, okay, let's, let's use Lucifer, let's use Satan if you want to, okay? Though my theology on all this stuff will whack some of you guys out, but whatever. But let's say Satan and Lucifer and all that stuff, right? The enemy, let's use him as, as the example. Lucifer, Satan, okay? He's not God's enemy. I know, I just wowed you. When God fights that last battle with him, he sends Michael to fight him. Because he's not a threat to God. He's like, Michael, take care of him. It's time for him to go down. <laughs> he's Michael's enemy. It's another angel's enemy. It's not God. They're below him. Do you, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? I am, I don't, I don't care what you guys think about yourself right now. I'm going to just I'm gonna boast for a second. I am a son of God. Are you? Are you? So what does that mean? You look like him. You talk like him. You carry his name. You carry his name. When people call you, they call him. That's why he says, let no one speak about one of my anointed. Man, be, be very careful. You're, this is God's child. Man, all right, I have to get into my notes. But, 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 but this is the stuff I'm talking about. If we are his disciples, you and I, we are to do the same. He was to first model such obedience. Okay? So that we could do the same. The can I say something? Fathers are called to model to children. Come on, parents. Fathers, and I'm talking about fathers and mothers when I say this statement. Fathers are to model for children. As, 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 they, as, 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 the, as the Godhead modeled for me. So now I'm a father. I really am a father. And I believe I'm a father to more than just two children. I really do believe that. And because I'm a father in, in every aspect of what that word means, I am called with all of my life to model a lifestyle before my children. Not just Jackson and Jade, but for the generations of people that will look at hopefully a legacy that I leave behind. Man, I wish you guys could think of yourself bigger. We're fathers and mothers. And what do we do then? We model what's been modeled to us. To who? To them. That's what we do. So if the generations that follow us are to do the same, we are to first model such obedience before them. Oh, I wish my son, he's 18 years old. I wish my, my son is giving me, well, what did he see his first 18 years? What did he hear his first 18 years? Don't put the full blame on your child when all he saw was dysfunction for the first 18 years. It's part of what we're doing. We're modeling we're modeling. We're modeling. We're modeling. Be careful what you pick up. Be careful what you do. Be careful how you speak. Trust me, they're listening to everything you say. You are indoctrinating. You are indoctrinating the people you... I'm not just talking about your kids. I'm talking about kids that... I'm talking about young believers that are going to come under your wings. And, they, and everything you say and everything you do and everything you model, they're looking at you and they say, that's what Christianity is? 
your, your sons, but yet the spiritual things I'm talking about as well. People that you're going to, I mean, man, I wish I could just go longer on this stuff. But that's, like, are you living in honorable obedience? Lord, I pray that this weighs us. Happy Thanksgiving Thursday. It's going to be good, but, but let it weigh us. Let it weigh us today. Listen, it will not take you long to realize that children, and I said this already, will do what you do way before they will ever do what you say. My son does some things at home, he goes, but Dada does it. What do you say now? Yeah, but I'm an adult, you know. Justify. When you become a dad, you do it. I mean, these are things I say. When you're a dad, then you can do it. So now he gets home and he wants to take off his shirt. Papa, you're going to get sick. Put your shirt on. No, Dada takes off his shirt. So I take off my shirt at night. <laughs> you're five, bro. You're going to get sick. But think about what that means spiritually. Think about the bigger picture of that. You with me? They were going to do what you do before ever doing what you say. Put your shirt on. <laughs> Hypocrite. You never put your shirt on. It's true. It's true. What, am I, what, what do I tell my five-year-old now? It's true. I mean, Papa, uh, I'm old, you know. But he is, it is a little, there is a little truth in there, right? All right. So much we could talk about when we deal with obedience, so let's roll. I'll give you um, a few things and then Isaiah Keys will come up and the worship will come up and wind. So here's, let's talk about obedience and let me give you just a few things. Um, maybe you could write these down. The first thing I want to start with is this, ready? And we know it already, so it's obvious. Here's the obvious one. Jesus, everyone say Jesus. Cause us to obedience. Very simple. Jesus calls us to obedience. We just learned this from the washing of feet. And after the washing of the feet, Jesus gets into some teaching. If you read the rest of the chapter in chapter 14 and so on and so forth, Jesus is not just done washing feet and says, all right, let's go home. He doesn't do that. He starts to teach them because I got them where I want them. Let me model some things for them. Now, in John chapter 14, 15, as he's teaching his disciples, here is what he tells them. Check this out. If you love me, keep my commandments. My goodness. If you love me, obey my words. Obey my commands is another translation. So do you understand what that means? Because <clears throat> this statement alone, as we learned two weeks ago, is, is, is this. True obedience. Genuine obedience. Okay, what other words can I use? The best one. Honorable obedience can only manifest from the place where true love is rooted. You remember that? How will you, how will you persevere or how will you in long suffering? Listen to this. How will you be obedient with long suffering if you don't love that in which you obey? Eventually, you're going to walk away from that because you don't really love what you're being obedient to. It's false obedience which is being forced. So eventually the true character will come out, your true colors will show, and you will walk away from that which you say you're obedient to. Many come into church, many leave. Many come into the faith and many leave. But few stay and stand the test of time because it's an honorable obedience that is rooted in true love. So you're 80 years old. You meet some of you have never walked away from the Lord? How can I? 
How can I walk away from something that my love has been rooted in and now my rest of my life is called to be in honorable obedience unto that? Okay, this stuff is just is very um, foundational to the Christian faith, but yet it's, it's, it's ignored and it's not preached as much. So if you feel, how about if I challenge you for a moment and I say this, if you feel like you struggle in obedience, that obedience is difficult for you, let's start by looking at whether you are rooted in his love. Is that good? You should write that. Maybe you should pray about that. I struggle with obedience. I don't like when people tell me things. I don't like when he tells me something, when she tells me. I don't like when I read the word and God is convicting me. You probably have a love issue going on. You're probably not rooted in love. Because my love, it'll hurt at times. But the truth, will, see, love is true. So I'm going to say, Lord, you're right. I'm going to humbly obey you and be obedient because of my rooted love for you. Amen? So if you struggle with obedience towards the Lord even, and it's difficult, start by looking at whether your love is rooted. <clears throat> I shared a little bit about Puerto Rico, and, and sorry for going on a tangent here, but, but it blessed me to just hang out for four days with pastors, ministers, uh, uh, brothers really, that have done the things that they have done. And I myself have been privileged, but I've also known so many who, who as, as well, who have made crazy decisions in their lives. Uh, I've, I've, made, I've, I've been privileged to make crazy decisions in my life, but some of the stories that are here are mind-blowing. And, and I'm honored to do life with some of these people that have made crazy decisions in their lives. Listen to this. Decisions that don't make sense to the carnal mind. Decisions that don't make sense to the physical mind. But they take steps in obedience to the Lord because their love for him is much greater than anything else in this world. Man, I hope you get that. So what do they do? Ready? They, they, they take steps of obedience <clears throat> towards the Lord because their love for him is so much greater than anything in this world. So they do things like this. Ready? They do things like they leave their jobs. They leave their jobs. You know how many ministers I've spoken to? that run to ministry as a job, and then every minister that I've, that I've spoken to, is, and I'm like, I was in Puerto Rico for four days, and I'm like, all these guys ran away from jobs to answer the call of the Lord. I'm like, wow, what does that look like? If, if, if I were to challenge our church like that. So let me just talk to you about some friends of mine and things that even I've had to encounter in my life. Because, because they take steps in obedience, this love for him is greater than anything else in the world. They do things like they leave their jobs. They leave a comfort of life. They leave a safe living to serve the Lord in greater capacities of faith. It's crazy. To serve in greater capacities of faith. I remember when, when I was working my first year teaching and I had to have a meeting with my principal and she loved me. And she says, Rigo, what is it? What can I do for you? It's so good to see you and have you in our school. And then I look at her and I said, and it's like three months into the school year. I'm like, I'm not going to work here next year. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't even know what I mean. I'm moving to Ohio. I have no idea where God's going to send me from there, but I'm ready to go wherever the Lord sends me. And, uh, but you know, there's other ways of doing this. I, I know, but I, but I don't know no other way. I just got to surrender my life. I don't know, weird, radical stuff like that. The Lord honored it. I don't recommend this to all of you. Or do I? But, <clears throat> but the Lord honored it and, and he brought me back and I thought I wasn't even going to come back. I almost stayed in a, in a, in a, in a town where I was, the, 
I was the darkest skin. I was the darkest one in the town. Um, I was Mexican to everyone that lived there. <laughs> I walked into a diner. I was in a pastor in this town. This is the place that they thought I was going to stay in. I'm not going to tell you where it's at and all that, but I walked into a diner with a friend of mine, and everyone just turned around and looked at me, and I said, oh, my gosh, I know how it feels. And I was just like, I feel belittled. They're all talking about me in this diner. I remember when they told me I was going to stay there to pastor, I said, I need to go off for a run. And I started to, I just started to walk and cry, cry and walk, cry and walk. And I think I called Nancy at that time, and I started to cry. She could testify of it. What's going on? I was like, I'm staying here. And it's horrible. And I was weak. And I, <clears throat> but, you know, people that are called to live in this honorable obedience, they do weird things, man. And some people that I've done life with, they leave jobs, they leave comfortable living, they leave safe living to serve the Lord in greater capacities of faith. Well, Lord, you're going to have to show off now. I've noticed this, ready? And take this as you want, but I've noticed this. I've noticed that one of the first things that the Lord does when he may call one to greater obedience is this, that he will test them in the area of finances. And then he says, okay, let's see if you're, let's see if you're really about it. And I've noticed that my whole life. Every step that I've taken as a believer, every step that I've taken as a Christian, every step that I've taken as a pastor has always caused me at the end of the road to face finances. So like my family or, my, or maybe my wife's family and, and, and all that, they're like, you're crazy. How can you do, you know, you know, I don't know. But he told me to do it. And I've noticed in my own, I can only speak personally, but whenever the Lord sends people to greater obedience, he tests the area of finances for some reason. I think we know maybe some of the reasons why but what a love and what a lifestyle of obedience that so many who are sent to like like men that i know women that i know to other countries and cities and places they know nothing of all because they love the lord and nothing gives them greater joy than to serve him fully with all of their lives what are you going to do i have no idea but god is sending me like this is crazy things like imagine living like that is it biblical it is I could probably prove to you that it's more biblical than looking at it the other way. I could probably tell you that is more biblical than any other component of how ministries are being planted today. I mean, I mean, just think about how the early churches started. Think about the fervency that these men and women had. What a love, what a lifestyle of obedience. Listen, we live in Christianity here in the States where it's hard to teach this because not many people are living this. It's hard to see people live it. Many have the mindset of how will it benefit me? How, how will it work out with my schedule? Okay, I will serve, but only under these conditions. Amen? Uh, I got to make sure all these guidelines are met. But how about this? Let's go to text now. Let's go to text. Let's go to scripture. Let's, go to, let's think like Jesus. Ready? Where are the ones that Jesus looks at and passes by and he tells them in the middle of their doings, drop your nets and follow me. No, but I'll take the nets with me just in case a day goes wrong. No, trust me that if you walk with me in obedience, you'll never need that net again in your life. How many today are dropping nets without conditions? How many today in America, in Christianity, maybe within our very own church, are dropping nets without having answers first? How many are dropping nets with the pain that it will cause? Listen to me. When you drop your net and you follow Jesus, I'm not trying to tell you that it's not painful. Actually, life may get a whole lot more painful. It actually will. Because Jesus' life was painful. Jesus' life was one of suffering. Actually, Paul says he rejoiced. And sharing in sufferings with Jesus. That's crazy talk. But, but, but it did something to his love. 
So think about what that means. How many are dropping nets with the pain that it causes? And at the same time, there's a thrill. I have pain, but there's a thrill. I have pain, but there's a thrill of serving the Lord because I'm asking, what can God do with this? There's some things that God's doing in me right now that I'm feeling this. There's, it's going to be painful, but there's a thrill because I'm ready to jump in and I, and I have to have some meetings first and I have to dialogue about some stuff first and I got to get okayed by this stuff. But there's something in me that God is doing that I want to feel the thrill of jumping into something that to the outsider doesn't make any sense. But if God said it, so he's going to make it work for his glory. There's a pain, but there's a thrill of what can God do with this if I just give up my life one more time for his cause. What will it look like? What will it look like if I sacrifice again? What will it look like if I walk away from that again? What it will look like if I get a pay cut again? What it will look like? What would it look like if I say, God, you're better than my salary? Man, like, imagine what God could do with a vessel. Finally, finally, you're at a place where you only trust in me. Watch me show off. That stuff doesn't feel right to your heart, does it? I was scared to say this stuff because I want you guys to come back. And I'm not trying to even be a joke. I really want you guys to be part of our church. But, but this kind of talk doesn't happen anymore. But this is the stuff that the apostles were talking about. This is the stuff. This is a, I mean, these are, these are the things that we're dealing with here. What's changed? What? I don't believe the gospel's changed. What's changed? I think it's the way that we live the gospel that's changed. Come on. Jesus calls us to obedience. Drop your nets without conditions. Drop your nets without having the answers. Drop your nets even though it's painful, but the thrill is worth it. Watch what Jesus can do. Man, I'm telling you, I've noticed in my life, and many people I do ministry with the pastors of our fellowship, that it can be painful. It will be painful, and it's going to test your faith. It's going to test your obedience. It's going to do it. But it will have people saying crazy things about you as well. Oh, he's lost his mind. Oh, he's a fanatic. I'm telling you all these things will happen. But the beauty of it all, why do it then? Why do it? Because it's going to produce such greater love in you for the Lord. That unless you do it, you'll never experience that love. Because you know why? You're crying and you're weeping and you're broken. And you're only at a place where your trust can only depend on Jesus. Why? Because you've walked away from everything else that gave you any kind of security. Now, I'm not telling all of you tomorrow to go to your jobs and quit. That is not this message. Or is it this message? You got you to decide these things. Like, What is God calling our church to be in this community? To be comfortable? To be safe? Or to be wild? To be weird? To be freaks? And to say what you do makes no sense, but it works. And then we're like, because all we could do as a family, as a nest, is depend and trust in Jesus. It, it, I mean, we, toge- I, I could decide it for my own life and my own family, but I can't decide it. Each one of us has to trickle down and decide it for each other. What do we want as a church? What do we want to give most importance to? Because all you have now is to trust the Lord as you walk in obedience. Because we have nothing else. How many of you want to get to the place that there's nothing else but just walking in obedience and being filled with a love because of this walking obedience like never before? So, Lord, it's painful and it hurts and they mock us and they say things about us. But, my God, it's worth it. 
it is worth it because my love has grown for you like never before. He calls us to obedience. Amen. You know, how else do you explain the life of the first disciples? 11 out of the 12 were persecuted and killed minus John, who was left to die on an island. Welcome to the faith. You will all perish. And they all did it with joy. Every single one of them, historians write about them, with smiles and with songs being sung in their heart. You know why I believe my faith is real? Just because of this. You have men today all over the world and men of old that have been willing with joy in their hearts to die for the name of Jesus. You don't die for something like that if it's not real. You die like that in such a way because it's become real to you. And maybe we die. Maybe we start dying and drop nets because it finally becomes real to us. No? How do you speak about the Apostle Paul? who I just said finds joy in suffering. More joy, more suffering. Because in suffering for Jesus, I get more joy out of it. I'm like, well, you're crazy. Freak. Bring the suffering because he brings the joy. Amen. Come on. Jesus wants us to be obedient. I need to give you at least two more. So when we're here, your life is in full obedience. It becomes worship to the Lord. Amen. It becomes worship to the Lord. So number two, or the second part that I want to give you, and we'll end this in about five minutes, is obedience is an act of worship. We know already that it's better to sacrifice. We know um, it's better than sacrifice. We know that, but I want you to understand this, though. Though it's better than sacrifice, I want you to know that true obedience, at some point, it will also cause you to sacrifice. We've read, and how many of us have read, and we quote, and it's almost a foundational verse in our Christian walk, Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1, it's a foundational verse to Christianity. I'll read it to you in the NLT translation just so that you can remember it if you don't. But it is a foundational verse. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to what? Come on, this stuff should really make you feel uncomfortable right now. It's not me. This is Paul speaking. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to? That's some freaky stuff. Give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is the true and way to worship him. Can we just t- pause for a moment? I'm not even going to get into this. I feel like I already did this in my last point. But what does this mean to you compared to what it may mean to the Lord? Seriously, what does to give your body to God look like? You need to answer that. Because I could give you a million examples of what it may look like. But only God is calling you to give your body and in the ways that he's called to give it. Your body is not just your physical body. Your body is all of your being. Give it to him. And let it be a living holy sacrifice that finds... And we can find acceptable, he finds it acceptable, truly the way to worship him. It is our worship to him when we are living, a living sacrifice. When we are holy, it says here, and when our lives are, not just our body, but when our full lives are given to him. Fully given to him. It is, what does he call? Paul calls this your reasonable service. Your re, your, the reason why you live. <laughs> the reason why you live was not to pass the test and make millions of dollars. Can you imagine that? The reason why you live was to be obedient to him in which whatever, whatever arena that is. And that's a powerful thing, whatever. Powerful. Your, your reasonable service, your worship to him. So let's repeat this. We said obedience is submission to another's authority. And I said this earlier. I believe in scripture teaches that our lives, our actions, our voices can operate under greater authority. I hope, I hope now that statement means something different now. And it comes when our lives are offering 
an offering of honorable service. I'm going to read to you what an author, not JP, but J.B. Morgan, an author, writes. And he says this. Author J.B. Morgan writes, says this. The essence of Christian life is obedience. It is the key to our progress in character, to our growth in happiness, to our ownership in the kingdom of heaven. Look what he says. Anyone that realizes this will actually long for opportunities of difficult obedience as the athlete looks forward with enthusiasm to the laborious practice since it is the way and the only way to the olive wreath. Isn't that awesome? The sacrifice is worth it, I tell you. That's what he was saying there. The pain is worth it. What does he call it? The difficulty is worth it. We look forward to it with passion, with enthusiasm. Why? Because it's the only way to the victor's crown. What's the only way to the victor's crown? Honorable obedience. That sometimes could be difficult and painful, but it's worth it. It's your victor's crown in eternity. It will be given because you live in honorable obedience on earth. Amen? Your obedience is what? Worship unto the Lord. Number one, what did, what did I say? He causes to be obedient. Number two? Obedience is worship. Some of you guys could cheat. It's okay. You could look at the other person's notes. All right, worship team could come up. The last part, God rewards obedience. This is if you feel like you got hit over the head a lot today. It's for you to smile. And, and on a good note because it's Thanksgiving on Thursday. And it's joyful season that we're in. But listen to this. There's a reward because of your obedience. Amen? I believe that there's a reward because of our obedience. Let's just read scripture together and let scripture talk. Let scripture do the preaching. Genesis chapter 22, 18, the Lord tells them, and through your descendants, he's speaking to the Israelites, all the nations of the earth, um, he's speaking um, to Jacob. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you obeyed me. There's so many verses on obedience, I couldn't grab them all, but Exodus 19, 5, now if you obey me and if you keep my covenant, if you obey me and you keep my word, Obey me, obedience. You will be my own treasure, special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me. Rewards. Rewards. He's rewarding. You're going to be blessed. He's rewarding. You're going to be a special treasure. He's rewarding us because of our honor obedience. In Luke, let's go to the New Testament for a moment. In Luke eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus replies, and he says this, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God. And they put it into practice. They're obedient to the word. In James 1, verses 20 through to 25, he says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Or if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself. You walk away. You forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, you don't forget what you heard, and God will bless you for doing it. We, we, gotta re we do recognize this, right? We do recognize our lives continue, do we? I hope you do. I hope there's no one in this room that thinks when you die, you die. I hope that everyone in this room understands that when you die, you actually figure out what living forever really means. And to some people, it's a reality of damnation forever. And for some people, it's eternal paradise. It's home with Christ forever. But it's forever. I want us all to recognize that our lives continue. And have, 
and have this in your thoughts for a moment, that we don't just live in this world. We just don't live in this world. That actually we may live in this world to make our eternal home known in it. Have you ever thought about that? When he says, um, the kingdom of God is at hand. How long has Christians been saying that? How long was Jesus preaching that? That was his number one message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's like, okay, when's it coming? Right here. Right now. Because maybe the whole kingdom of God is at hand has nothing to do with his physical kingdom actually coming. But it has to do with his physical kingdom that has actually arrived. I want you to understand this. You are the kingdom of God that has arrived if you're in Christ. So when he says repent for the kingdom of God is coming. I believe that it's arriving from the place of repenting. I believe it's arriving in the place of repenting. Because now what do we do as his agents? We now bring the kingdom, the kingdom living, the kingdom teachings, the kingdom model that has been modeled before us. We bring it to what? We bring it to what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven. We bring it to earth. We don't just live in this world. We may live in it to make our eternal home known in it. Amen? So we enjoy it. This world sucks. This world is a... Oh, I can't stand my life. Well, there's some things we've got to fix then. Because how about if we're actually called to enjoy it? Even in pain, yeah. To do our best in it. For his glory while we're in it. Because every single one of us understands this. And if you don't, you should starting today. That every single one of our lives, all of our lives will be weighed before his presence. Will be put on a scale. One day we'll stand before his throne. Whether it's the great white throne or whether it's the mercy seat. We'll stand before his throne. And he will speak of our lives. Like have you thought about Jesus? <laughs> Have you thought about standing before God and God speaking about your life in eternity? Like, have that ever crossed your mind yet? You should start crossing your mind. Like now, that one day you stand before God and he's going to speak before his father and before angels about, your, about you. <laughs> that when you get to before the throne, he said, I got something to say. Jesus is going to say, you need to be quiet. I have to talk about your life up here. Before who? Before him? And for all the angels that are present. That's powerful stuff. Your life will be weighed before his presence. And we'll stand before his throne. He's going to speak of our lives. And he's going to speak about the life that was lived out in obedience. Or the one that was lived out in disobedience. But every single one of us. There will be a line. And he separates the sheep from the goat. He will separate the obedient from the disobedient. That is biblical. In Luke 12 he says... I say to you that whoever confesses me before men, where is that? On earth. Everyone say on earth. Whoever confesses me before men, him, the son of man, will confess before the angels of God. Wow. Does that strike? Does that like hit you? Verse 9, but he who denies me on earth before men. How do you deny God on earth? In disobedience. How do you confess him on earth? in obedience but he who denies me before men on earth will be denied before the angels of God guys get this church understand this our life confesses him in our obedience or our life denies him in our disobedience whom will you be 
Drop your nets. Find joy. If you're one of the faithful ones today, find joy. Find joy, faithful ones. Because one day we will be rewarded. Here's some more scripture of us being rewarded. Ready? James 1.12, blesses the man who remains steadfast on the trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Matthew 16.27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and they will repay each person according to what he has done. Rewards. There's rewards in eternity. There really is rewards in eternity. Some of us will govern. Some of us will be governed over. I want to govern. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm like James and John. Lord, allow me to sit at your right and one at your left. I I want to be great. I want greatness in eternity. I do. I want to govern. I want to govern in the eternal kingdom. I want to wear crowns in the eternal kingdom that constantly come off my head at his feet, but that constantly keep flowing to his feet. I, I don't know. I just, I want, I want his fullness. Matthew 5, 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Your what is great in heaven? Your reward. Your reward is great in heaven. So rejoice and be glad. Come on. You're not rejoicing. You're not glad. Everything's miserable. Everything's complaining. Well, well Matthew says, in the, the gospel of Matthew, he says to rejoice and be glad. Why? Because we have a reward and it's great and it's in eternity. So they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Don't worry about it. If they harm you and they speak ill about you and, and, and they do harm things about you, man, stand the test of time. Your reward is great in eternity. In Luke 12, 33 and 34, here it is. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags. They they do not grow old with a treasure. In the heavens, listen to this. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. There are treasures in eternity that do not get rotted or stolen and destroyed. They last forever. I'm going to carry treasures, rewards in eternity forever. How are you doing today, Rico? I'm doing great. Have you checked out my treasures? Have you checked out my rewards? I'm doing great in eternity. Come on, we got to live a life of honorable obedience. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it's good or whether it's evil, whether it's obedient or whether it's disobedient. Revelation 12.12, behold, I am coming soon and I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. Matthew 25, 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's the parable. You have been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's rewards of a life of obedience. Hallelujah. So turn your Bibles to Romans 2 and you can stand with me. I'll get out your way. Honorable obedience. Leave it just like that. Let's go to Romans 2. Put your eyes on verse 5. This is speaking of, of God's righteous judgment. I'm going to go from verse 5 and I'll stop in uh, verse 11. 
He says, but because you are stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, he's talking to a sinful people here, not necessarily you, maybe, but, but he says, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Look what he tells these people. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, he will judge everyone according to what they've done. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy, man. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. Seeking after the glory and the honor and immortality that God offers. Verse 8. But he will pour out his anger and his wrath on those who live for themselves. Look at the comma. Those who refuse to be obedient. Those who refuse to obey the truth. Instead, they live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble. There will be calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile, verse 10. But there, this is good, this is good. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew and for also the Gentile, God does not show favoritism. There is a good, there will be glory, there will be honor for all who do good. For all who live in obedience, honorable obedience. Number one, Jesus wants us to be obedient. Number two, our obedience is an act of worship. And number three, God rewards your faithful obedience. Amen. You could give God some praise there. He deserves it. Come on, let's grab the hand maybe of the person next to you there. Lord, we thank you for this word. Some of it brings joy and encouragement. Some of it cuts sharp. But your word is a double-edged sword. It's refining your children here today. Sometimes, I myself personally, many times, most of the times, Lord, need to be cut with your sword so that I could be made pure. so that I could give it up again give it all into you Lord I know you're stirring a people here I really do believe that you've called this family to be so different we're trying to learn and we're hearing the words that you're sharing and teaching give us ears to hear hearts that receive and understand the lifestyle that you're calling this family to walk in let's drop nets without answers 